podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello everyone and welcome to this week's Weekender Show. My name is Mo Stewart. I've got a fantastic show lined up for you. We've got a really good room as well. We've got Andy Heaton, we've got Adam Smith, we've got Siobhan Began. And later on in the show, you'll be hearing from the likes of Alex Hurst talking about Newcastle, as obviously we are playing them this weekend. We'll be hearing from Kate and Michelle from Ronald McDonald House, speaking to Lizzie about their charity. And we'll also be hearing from a certain Mr. Michael Owen, who sat down with our own very much Josh Paxman, no, sorry, Josh Sexton, (laughs) to talk about his Liverpool career. But as I say, international break is officially over. We are now getting back into club football and I'm sure that there's a sigh of relief from a lot of you out there and I know for for a fact a couple of you are in this room in particular. So let's talk about what exactly the international break took in for Liverpool. Uh, Normally we're all worried about people coming back unscathed from injury and as far as I'm aware we haven't heard from Jurgen Klopp yet but it seems like all 17 players who went out have come back unscathed and ready to go. Which is good news, you know, mm-hmm. there's a cause of celebration in and of itself. Um, some of them did play two games over the over the course of the international break. I've got a list of those here, there's six players. Uh, Jeannie Wijnaldum, Virgil van Dijk, Andy Robertson, Jordan Henderson, Roberto Firmino and Dayan Lovren. Now, Adam, I'll start with you, seeing as you're staring intently into my eyes. <laughs> How many of those six do you expect to see start on Saturday morning? Three. Do you want to name them? <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's basically this. All six of them have got a song apart from Dejan Love, and there's a little fact for you. Oh. Um, so, who do I think is going to start? I think Robertson will play. Um, I think Van Dyke will play, and I think that who was the other one that you said? Uh, I, I think Firmino will play. You think all three of them will? Yeah, play? I think those three will play. Yeah, I think. Um, because I think that all of them have got a history of playing a lot of games and, and kind of being okay, whereas Jordan Henderson, for example, hasn't. Mm-hmm. So I can imagine him dropping down for that for that reason. I I, I just don't really see a world in which Lovren suddenly leaps over <laughs> three other central defenders to get into the, the, the team. Uh, and I'm not quite convinced that who was the sixth. Wijnaldum. Uh, yeah, and I think Wijnaldum... Um, I could see one Alden playing, but I think he's got enough midfield mm. options to mean that that's not one he'd go for. I think Van Alden will play in that, like, I think he's probably just proper buzzing off how boss he's been mm, for the Netherlands this, this last week or so. And, like, he does go through phases where he's a bit quieter than in other phases. So he's going to want to ride this crest for as long as possible. Now, obviously, whether Klopp wants to ride that crest as long as possible, I wouldn't call Lovren's a, a rest in this match. It's more of an enforced rest, I think, really. <laughs> but I agree about. Um, Henderson as well. I think he um, does well for a rest, doesn't he? So, you can see that. I mean, Lovren scored. I mean, he's probably going to be feeling good, but... He always feels good. (laughs) This is true. This is one of the good things about him. He'll have a cold before the weekend. (laughs) Some sort of stomach pulled or something. Now, Andy, I'll come to you on this. When we did the show um, where we were talking about this next block of games, everyone around that table was adamant that Jurgen Klopp would go strong for the first game after the break to kind of maintain that momentum. How are you feeling about it? I mean... There may well be reasons, potential opportunities to rest some players, even someone like Virgil van Dijk, when you consider that Gomez and Matip didn't play any minutes over the international break. And we don't know whether or not there's going to be a lot of windows to rest someone like Virgil over the course of the coming season. 
I don't think you rush your centre halves though, really, do you? Unless you have to. I think you rotate your centre halves, horses for courses, but I don't think. I don't think you rest your centre half. No, not not you, not, not you, big man. Um, certainly not Virgil Van Dijk. It's 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 a different kind of fitness, isn't it? Playing central defence. Um, so no, I don't think there's any risk of that. Um, I'm curious as to whether he gives Shakiri a go. Mm. Um, just mainly, but then Salah's had the rest. Uh, Mane's had the rest. For me, I was like, so. I don't know. It's a funny one, isn't it? Um, the one he doesn't really like playing him in the front three, the front three, no, though, does he? No, no, he doesn't. I'd, I'd be interested to see what what he does with Vinaldum. To be honest, uh, not so much whether he drops him or not, but given his goal scoring form for the Netherlands of late, mm-hmm. whether he changes it up a little bit, changes the shape of the midfield, and plays him a bit more further forward because he's, he's on fire. Yes, yeah. for um, for the for the Dutch national side. So I know it's a curious one. Um, I, I still think they'll go for the throat and go heavy. Um, not necessarily for the goal difference thing because I mean it's, it's it, you know, you don't you don't really need to worry about that until no. you know God knows until later no. in the season and even then the like of the city are probably going to outscore us anyway so it yeah. makes no odds. Um, so yeah, the only one I possibly see is maybe Shakiri, but then if he who for mm-hmm. who for Other, otherwise I just, I just go as strong as you can. Well, the reason that I wrote something on this list regarding Andy Robertson in particular, because we always think about needing a rest from a physical standpoint, but he's had a really tough time of it mentally. Yeah. Obviously, he's the captain of a struggling team at the moment. Mm. I mean, I don't know how many of you saw the game against Belgium, but as much as you would say, yes, Belgium are obviously the class of that group, Scotland would have hoped to put up a bit of a fight. I mean, if you saw Northern Ireland against Germany, that was a bit of a fight. Scotland had none of it and they're out of it already, Siobhan. I mean, he's taken it quite hard as well. If you see some of the quotes he's put out, he's been really hard on himself. Do you think that that might be a time to maybe just say, look, okay, just take a breath? Or do you think maybe getting back into action for Liverpool might actually help him? I didn't see the Scotland game. I was busy going to Dublin to watch um, the 1-1 game between <laughs> Ireland and Switzerland. So thanks, Shakiri for resting that one. Um, but I don't... Robertson certainly doesn't strike me as the type who would need a mental rest for something, if anything. I think quite the opposite in that he will need something good to happen mm-hmm. to help him bounce back from that. He's probably never had to face that sort of criticism before mm-hmm. at such a... A, a kind of um, elite level you know a lot of the criticism was it was people saying about him you know he thinks he's playing for Liverpool he's not he's playing for Scotland you know his job is different here he's not playing with the superstars that he is when he plays for Liverpool and he's aware of that he's not soft he's aware of that so obviously he's done what he thinks is right he's as captain it's not just his job to look at himself but to look at everyone else as well and he's probably finding that a difficult balance to do I personally think that he could physically potentially do with the rest at some point but mentally no I think he'll probably want to bounce back quite quickly No I, I can see that in him as well I think he is the kind of person who like I say he was hard on himself but he does take a challenge head on and yeah. <clears throat> going back into a system he knows for a team that he knows and for a team that's performing quite well will actually probably do him some mm-hmm. good uh, I wanted to touch a little bit on Joe Gomez then because he's kind of been a little bit of the the man left out in all of this because obviously he starts the season he doesn't quite live up to the levels he was producing this time last year Massive comes back in and it's been fantastic he doesn't get any minutes over the course of the international break as I said Adam do you see a position of maybe him coming in somewhere else in the defence if uh, Virgil's maybe going to stay I think it 
it depends probably on what Klopp's thinking about in terms of the the how much he can get out of them before the MK Dons game because that's the one where he'll definitely yeah. be ro- throwing rotation in. And I think, uh, I think, I think Klopp would have taken this game seriously anyway. Mm-hmm. But I think after the Newcastle result at Spurs, I think that probably makes him sit up and and be a little bit more like we we absolutely cannot give the impression that we don't take them seriously mm. and I, I you know i think that 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 last season we were very very good at, at, at kind of beating teams but there were just a couple of games west ham and, and leicester maybe mm. where both of them weren't in a particularly great state when we went to, when we were playing them and we dropped points in in those two games it, it almost you know almost in a kind of well we, we should beat these just by turning up kind of thing and we've we've met, that was a real problem for liverpool in 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 seasons past under different managers klopp has been able to get rid of that mentality and there never seems to be a we've just turned up so we should get the points performance mm-hmm. anymore but i do think if he makes big changes and he starts putting gomez at left back and shakiri in the middle and you know drops Firmino or something like that i, th- I think the, the players start to think oh we should just win this because because newcastle are rubbish and they are rubbish <laughs> you know like they, they, they are and you know I, I said after the um i think it was maybe on a friday show after the um the result for them at, at, at Spurs that that Tottenham, if you expect to win in the league, you can only really afford, afford to drop points in eight games. One of those cannot be Newcastle at home, and you cannot lose to them. That it's just that yeah. simple because they're rubbish. So I, I really think that Klopp will will be aware that we 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 should have what it takes to beat them regardless, but will think let's get three goals up in the first half and then. Put the brakes on in the second half. So and chill may- out maybe a bit. see some of them coming off as sixty. That's that's yeah. what I think is probably more likely in the way that we know that Klopp likes to work. Yeah, I mean, I think looking at previous times coming back from international breaks, I think last season around this time going away to Huddersfield, it was a very similar situation. We were talking about rotation and how we would be able to, you know, ease through that game, and it ended up being an absolute dog that we won one nil. Uh, but that actually was the kickstart of the next part of the season. So maybe that's what we'll see from this time. I want to touch briefly on this point uh, about someone you mentioned before as being in red hot form. That's Genie Wijnaldum. Uh, he scored in both games for, for the Netherlands and notably scored at the end of the game where he was still running and everyone else looked like they were on their last <laughs> legs. So he's really running on a rich vein of form right now. He's someone whose contract situation is still technically in the balance. I mean, of the people whose contract runs out within the next two seasons, we've heard Matip is in talks. We've heard whispers now about Milner being in talks, Andy. Is Wijnaldum the next one on the on the rank? Is he a really important person to tie down, do you think? It all seems very relaxed, doesn't it? Um, so I, I wouldn't be unduly concerned about it. I think it's, it's a situation where... Players comfortable at Liverpool, Liverpool happy with the player, doesn't have to be a mad rush, there's no real threat of him being poached by anyone else. So th- I think maybe if there was the suggestion that someone might come in for him, they might that might spare them into action. You don't know whether there's been talks anyway, you know what quite mm. Liverpool is now now these days anyway. There's literally nothing gets out until it's done. Uh even like the Glatzel thing the other day. Yeah. Come out the That's blue. True. Um so no, I'm not I'm not unduly worried either way. I did, but the one thing I would say is that his next contract is the most important contract in his career because he's 28. Yeah. Mm. So you do wonder whether, you know, how long his next contract is going to be, whether what the incentives are, whether it's a 
do you take a four year on a higher wage? Do you take a five year on a lower? Would Liverpool go to a five year? It's all. Well, I mean, what, what I would say is it's quite clear that the manager and the player have got a really good relationship. So yeah. it's not something that I'm, I'm unduly concerned about. I think that's probably the, the the consensus for most of us is that, like you say, something that we will have time to get to at some point. I do remember a couple of seasons ago, at the beginning of the season, there were, out or seemingly out of nowhere, sudden rumours about him wanting more game time and maybe having to look elsewhere for it, Siobhan. But if you think about it now, that's that's not a problem he has. <laughs> he, he's now, he's integral. I think um, everything you read about Wijnaldum is that no one's quite sure what you couldn't write a definition of what he does or what his role is. So, you know, there'd be this talk of him like, I didn't see him do anything, but he must be doing something because it didn't yeah. go wrong or because he didn't get subbed or because, it, you know, that seems strong. And it's almost becoming quite enigmatic, isn't it, in, in, in what role he does play in a, in, in a similar way to how Firmino's role is quite enigmatic and that it's so... what It's one man's trash is another man's treasure and things like that. It's yeah. it's like... It, it's it's really difficult to define. Um, but yeah, game time certainly not a problem and apparently goals not a problem. No, long, long may <laughs> Big both ones of- too, yeah. Long may both of those things continue. Now, I also just want to take a moment to say, how good is it that of all of our squad, our entire squad, there is literally only three players whom aren't uh, tied up for a longer than mm. two years? I mean, when was the last time we were in that situation? Yeah, I, I think it's just testament to, well, not just the the team behind the team, uh, but I think it's a lot easier to negotiate when you're playing well and you're doing <laughs> well, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Uh, whereas you know you've got players, it, it it's this weird flux, isn't it? If 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 you're, let me articulate this the right way. Basically, if you're a player that the club's keen to tie down, you'd expect that player to be one of the better players, mm-hmm. right? So, but if you're in a team that isn't doing particularly well and they're one of your best players, they have pretty much all the leverage. Whereas we're in this position now where players want to be at Liverpool. So it's it's a lot, it's a lot easier to manage. I mean, there's not that that nagging fear in the back of your head that there's a, a Barcelona or a, or a Barcelona or a Real Madrid or I don't know even a Bayern Munich mm-hmm. where you couldn't seriously have a conversation and go, well, all right, well maybe they might like they might want you, but medals on the table time. Mm-hmm. And thankfully, our players are starting to collect some medals of their own. Yeah, I think even you know not even going back that far, a couple of seasons ago, I remember. You know, you'd, you'd have that nagging feeling that you just described, Andy, of just get one more season out of him, just get one more season out of him. And my dad used to say that about anyone who was anyway decent. <laughs> oh, he'll be off next year. And you just don't have that sense anymore because where are they going to go? What, where are they going to find better? So, yeah. yeah, exactly. Where are they going to find better? Now, speaking of players who got itchy oh, feet in Liverpool <laughs> and decided to leave, it's time to hear from Michael Owen. Uh, now, obviously... Most of you out there will know he's got a new book out. It's been quite controversial. And because of that, and just generally because of his status within the Liverpool canon of being, well, I don't want to say divisive, but there's a, generally a mixed reaction from fans when you hear, or, or when you mm. mention his name. So thankfully, he wanted to come and put his side of the story across. And we had our crack man on the job, Josh Sexton, to speak to him. And you're going to get a really good sliver of it here. 
And after Josh and Michael, you'll be hearing from Kate Davis and Michelle Langan of local charity Ronald McDonald House or Mac House, which offers accommodation for the parents of sick children in the nearby Alderhey Hospital. The two of them are speaking to Lizzie about their upcoming fundraiser that's happening at Anfield. And finally, after that, you'll be hearing from Neil, who chatted to Alex Hurst of the Newcastle website True Faith to find out how they're feeling about the upcoming season. And when you start to sort of talk about the contract situation in your book, you, you, you do sort of talk about some of them big, bigger picture things that are maybe going on at Liverpool at that time in terms of the position Liverpool are in. And it's obviously a situation which is massively complicated. I know I know you sort of refer to in your book that the fans won't understand the ins and outs and, you know, everything's not black and white. There's, there's loads of grey areas involved in, in football as well as in life. But was there, was there a point where you perhaps communicated to your agent that, you know, your desire was was to stay at Liverpool or was it almost just a complete impasse on all sides? Because that's what it sort of sounds like at times is that no one was really talking almost. No, but there never needed to be. I, I never mentioned once to my agent, you know, I'm going to stay or I'm going to do this. It was just like, I never even thought, again, it might be because I'm, you know, a bit tunnel vision and just thinking of the next game, the next game, the next game. But I just assumed that I'd be a Liverpool player all my life. I mean, why would I ever... You know, no one goes from Liverpool and goes to another team in in England, really. You know, it just doesn't happen. You're only going sideways um, most of the time. And, you you know, in this day and age, you'd be going backwards. Um, So there was never any conversation ever that, you know, you could go or anything else like this. And just one day in, in, in the summer... My agent, I was I was with Caro at the time and Rafa Benitez had just taken over and, and my agent phoned me and, and told me of the interest. And it was just, I don't know what I thought. It was just, oh my God, I'd never even dreamt of that or, or anything else like that. And then it just sends your mind spinning. Obviously, you're thinking, God, you know, should you, shouldn't you? It's an unbelievable opportunity to see something else, to live in a different country, maybe different language. Those players are great, you know. What imagine what a transfer being part of a transfer is like and all that and you just think but still you know one day I was thinking oh yeah that sounds exciting and then the next be no 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 I don't fancy it and I think what got me to a decision was almost convincing myself that you know there's players you know say Ian Rush had done it before he's left he went away and he came back as if nothing ever you know as if nothing had ever happened type of thing. And I almost convinced myself, and I even spoke to Rick Parry saying, right, Rick, if I go, obviously we're having a handshake, aren't we, to say I'm coming back to something. And it was absolute, yeah, yeah, yeah. It was almost in my mind, I just convinced myself, right, I can do it. I can just go for a year or two and then I can come back. And uh, and that's the only reason I sort of thought, or that's the way I convinced myself, I should say, to, uh, to actually bite the bullet. And there's obviously the, the decision which then comes to when the move to Real Madrid is starting to come to fruition to, to sit out of the, the Graz or AK game. You talk about the, you know, how the fans maybe don't know the ins and outs of, of, of that situation as such, but was there part of you which could see from the outside how, how that would look to supporters, the fact that you were, you know, you were sitting out an important Champions League game and, and they'd be looking at it going, well, he's a mercenary, he's, he's doing that because he's not going to be cup tied for Real Madrid. Well, it wasn't me then. sitting out of it. <laughs> I mean, as soon as Real Madrid make contact with, with Liverpool and Rafa Benitez pulls me in his office and said, right, what are we doing here? Are we, you know, are you, are you wanting to go? Are you wanting to stay? And, and I was like, um, well, I want to stay, but I think it's a great opportunity. And I was, you know, and beating or almost beating, I couldn't bring myself to say, I think I should go. But at some point the managers, you know, Rafa at the time and said, well, we've got a game in three or four days. 
you can't, you know, if you're going to go, we can't, we, you, you know, you can't be involved. And, you know, because obviously you'd be cup tied and, you know, there wouldn't be the same value for you. And, and of course, all of those reasons. So, geez, the last thing I'm going to do is say, oh, no, no, I refuse to sit on the, I mean, I've never done that in my life. Um, so, no, I mean, I didn't like the, the, the word mercenary because I would like to think that that, that certainly not, could never be uh, um, pointed in my direction. But, no, it was certainly not that. As soon as, as, soon as there was, the two clubs were speaking and as soon as, you know, I spoke to Rafa and whatever, it was, right, well, this is just a fact. You can't play in this game now. And it certainly wasn't me saying, right, I'm not going to play. I mean, I would have loved to play, but that was, uh, was obviously in the in the midst of, of everything going through I guess and it's interesting that you talk about the, the sort of to and fro and over that decision because you know the move to Madrid doesn't almost work out for you in the end and Liverpool go on to win the Champions League the season after you've left is a part of you which thinks you know what if what if I was in Rafa's office on the day where I wanted to stay and maybe I could have just said yeah Rafa I want to stay and, and then that happens is, is there is there part of you which looks back and thinks well what if I was a part of that yeah I mean I say, in, winning team? I say in the book that you know how you know the mixed emotions of when Liverpool won the Champions League and you think all that effort all my life I've just given to to that football club I've only gone away for a year and I was ho- I'm hoping to come back and the bloody year I go that happens so of course you can imagine the the frustration but then you can imagine you know with my relationship with most of the players that I knew at that point of course the likes of Stevie and Cara that were really close to me um, I was obviously delighted for for my mates so yeah of, of course it was it was one of those things but you know that's just life isn't it it's just life it's like you know, I had a I had a decision. I'm not blaming you. I'm not blaming Rafa. I'm not blaming any. I made the decision. I thought I've got to try to, I've got to give this a go. I've got to. It's just you know, all those reasons I said before. I've just got to try it, and hopefully it'll just all be you know. I'll come back in a year or two, and that's that was basically basically it. I'm not blame. I'm not here, and I don't blame anybody for that. That was my decision. End of story. So whatever happens after, that's like fine. It's life, you know. I don't get caught up in thinking, right? Well, you know, I've got no issues, no animosity against anyone. I've got no animosity against the club for not wanting to buy me back, or in the, the second time, I should say, I've got no bad feeling that Liverpool wouldn't pay sixteen million and match Newcastle's. But I've got no bad feeling there. They sold me for eight million. That's life. That's like I made the decision. I made my bed. Okay, we couldn't work it so but I don't I don't lie there at night blaming the club blaming Rafa Benick blaming oh now Torres is it well what a strike time moves on so now when I want to get back and Torres is in the t- well hard luck Michael I mean you decided to go and as much as you're desperate to get back now they've got t- time moves on but people ask me questions if it's like are you are you, are you this are you that you, no like it was my just. It's fine. I'm absolutely cool with it. If Liverpool fans want to see me as like, you know, that I left and you use the the word mercenary before. I mean, it's like, it, come on. I mean, you know, I give my heart and soul and and whatever, and and absolutely give my heart and soul to getting back as well. I I can look in the mirror every night of the week and be absolutely delighted with with what I did, how I conducted myself what I gave to the team, how much I tried, how I bled for the shit, how, you know, all those things I'm absolutely cool with. If someone don't like me because I moved to Madrid, then fine. That's their prerogative. That's cool. I mean, I can explain what happened. That's fine. But, and then of course, there's 
we, you know, you get on to the next stage and the next stage and the next stage. And God, if I, well, I have, I've tried to explain it as best as I could in that book, but, you know, every single time, if anybody is slightly unaware or slightly ill-informed in terms of my feelings or how I tried to manipulate situations to get back, I mean, there can be no doubt. There can be absolutely no doubt of where my heart always was, but things transpired the way they did eventually. And I am more upset and sad about that than anybody else, I can assure you. And you talk in the book about almost moving to Everton and, and how sort of uncomfortable that made you feel because you knew the way that Liverpool fans would, would perceive that. And I've, I've seen quotes from Jamie Carragher, I think, I'm pretty sure it's in reference to yourself, about you know maybe questioning to you how you want to be remembered after your Liverpool career. Was was there not part of that which occurred to you before the move to Manchester United? You maybe Because it, it seems like that attitude sort of shifted before the move to Manchester United where you maybe thought, oh, Liverpool fans are going to hate me whatever I do now. So Well, of course I had those feelings. I mean... And sadly, it's, you know, the the problem is I'm one, aren't I? I'm my own, I'm myself, I'm like a person. When you say Liverpool fans, I mean, it's it's easy to say, to to class, you know, to, to group them as a whole. Them, yeah. yeah, exactly. Now, lots of Liverpool fans, I've never ever met a Liverpool fan that's that, that's come up to me and said, you're a disgrace, you did this and you, you did that. Everyone is always polite, always thankful that, you know, always, you know, grateful that I did my best and had success and all the rest of it. So, you know, if I go into the stadium and I ran on the pitch now, what would happen? I guess out of, 55,000 people, whatever there is, there'd probably be about 200 people that might boo. I don't know. And I, and I would hear them. But that's not me saying, right, that that means everybody booed me. Yeah, of course. I mean, come on. It's like, I've got loads of respect. I'm there all the time working and watching. And so, you know, it's, um, my relationship is fine. Now, again, you know, you've got to put yourself in my shoes. I... Signed for Liverpool, signed for Newcastle. The only reason I eventually signed for Newcastle is because they would insert a clause to get me that I could come to Liverpool after a year. So, you know, again, another demonstration of of what I wanted to do. Then once my career finished at, at Newcastle, here I am, mid to late twenties, however old I am, late twenties, and all of a sudden now I've got a life to live. I've got a career to have, just like you have. If, you know, the next great podcast comes out, you know, you're going to stick, or if they, you know, if they give you a better opportunity, better conditions, working conditions, better people to work, all these things. Of course, we're all ambitious. We all want to play for the best teams. So when I sit down and three teams come in to sign me, one's Hull, one's Everton, and one's Manchester United. I mean, I'm... Imagine what I was thinking. It's nice and whole, you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know what? You know, and I'm sure a lot of people will actually sit there and say, you should have gone to Hull then. I mean, I genuinely would think that. Yeah. But, you know, come on. It's like, you know, all I ever wanted was like for one of those teams to be Liverpool and then we wouldn't have been, you know, that everything would have been fine. But again, time moves on. No problem. That's fine. I spoke to uh, Brendan Rodgers, didn't need me at the time. No problem, no hard feelings towards the club, towards the manager, towards anyone. But I've got a life. I've got a sort of, I'm a footballer. I've worked my nuts off all my life to be as good as I can be. And now I've got three teams that want me. Like, 
what do you want me to do as a Liverpool? Do you want me to like retire, just retire then? <laughs> All right, well, I'm going to spit my dummy out and say, no, Liverpool don't want me anymore, so I'm going to retire. I mean, come on, like, see it from my point of view or just, you know, see it from a normal, rational point of view. Of course, ideally, I wanted to go to Liverpool. Of course. But with all due respect to Hull, really, I think I was a bit better player than to be in a relegation dogfight and really want to live away from home again. And, you know, I'd done that. So now it's like, oh my God, I'm going to be, you know, where do I, what do I do? What do you do? Absolutely, everything is not black and white, but Michael, your, uh, your new book <laughs> reboot is out now in all good bookstores. I do recommend to, to a lot of Liverpool supporters, whether you know, as Michael said, whether you hate him or whether you love him, I do recommend you read it because... <laughs> I sincerely every, hope no one hates him. <laughs> <laughs> every story has multiple sides, but Michael, thanks very much for your time. My pleasure. Great to speak to you. It's the weekender and I'm joined by Kate and Michelle from Ronald McDonald's house at Alderhey. Kate and Michelle, thank you very much for coming in. Hi Lizzie. Thanks for having us. No worries at all. Um, so you've come in to speak about an event that you've got on at, um, at Anfield in November. Um, but first of all, I just wanted to um, see if we could tell our listeners, our subscribers, what Ronald McDonald's house is um, at Alderhey. Everyone knows Alderhey, it's a, it's a fantastic hospital, but... Ronald McDonald's house is completely independent from Alderhey and I just wanted you to maybe start off by telling us what it is you do, when it started um, and, and just tell us a little bit about it. Sure, so um, we've been on the Alderhey site for 26 years now, as you mentioned, completely independent from the Alderhey hospital, but we provide support and accommodation for parents whose children are critically ill at Alderhey. So it's a, it's sort of, our families tell us it's a lifeline, really. It's somewhere they can escape the clinical intensity of the wards, somewhere where they can rest, recuperate, and just have some time out when they need it, with probably one of the most stressful times of their lives when their child's ill. And actually, like, how, how big is the Ronald McDonald's house? Like, how many people do you house at a time, if that's the right? Yeah, so over a year, um, we last year we supported um, and gave accommodation to uh, around 2,000 families, just over 2,000 families. We're the biggest uh, Ronald McDonald house in Europe with 84 rooms. 15 of those are apartments that were funded in 2010 by uh, Ricky Tomlinson, a great red supporter, <laughs> um, who kindly uh, made that possible. So those apartments are for long-term uh, families who have to stay with us for months and months on end while the child's um, receiving support and care at Alderhey. So they're sort of a, a two-bedroom, a, a one-bedroom apartment with a kitchen and a living room. So ideal for those families who've got other children, mm. brothers and sisters, who need a bit more space. And it's it's one of those, isn't it? You don't really, you don't really think about it until you're in that position. But for families who might have, you know, a child go into hospital for a long amount of time, um, and it also takes the, the financial strength off of the families as well to know. And they don't have to pay out to stay somewhere, but they can still be close to the child. That's it. I mean, a lot of our families tell us if we weren't here, they'd have to sleep in their cars because there's just no alternative. And as a parent, we all understand that, that need to be with your child when they need you most, when they are seriously ill. So, you know, what we provide is really tangible, just a roof over somebody's head so they can be with the child at the the most, you know, the, the time when they need the most. And we've, we've, oh, also, go we've also got one family that's been with us for 11 years. 
Wow. So you can imagine if if you had to pay, because our families have to pay rent or a mortgage or, you know, bills on their own house as well as staying with us. So you can imagine 11 years if you if you would have to pay to stay in a hotel or rent a second home for 11 years. It's like an unbelievable amount of money that you'd have to spend. 11 years is a long time, isn't it? And mm. I mean... With with the sort of longer term ones, is it a, a thing where you maybe sort of set it aside and they have to like their own little individual apartment that they can come back to and, and they can treat as theirs? Yeah, yeah, with the long term families. So our families, if they stay with us more than a month, then we'll look at moving them into one of the apartments. So they, they're all self-contained then and they've got their own space and um, it's just a bit more like a proper having your own flat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And they can cook there and home all that kind of thing. That's it. Yeah. It's a yeah. home from home. That's what we say about our charity and our house. We try to make you feel like you're at home mm-hmm. when you're not. And you have, um, obviously, the, the space is run by staff, but you have a lot of volunteers as well. Oh, our volunteers are amazing. <laughs> Honest to God, we, we, are, we, couldn't, we couldn't operate with them. Um, all the laundry is done by a team of wonderful women who come in, you know, every week and get all our, our laundry done. And they're, they're, they are amazing. They are. I call them the golden girls. <laughs> they're like, we've got like a little group of ladies. Some of them have been with us for, for like 10 years, haven't yeah. they? Yeah. And the mostly retired ladies, are oh, they're just lovely. They're like proper scouse nans. <laughs> I was just about to say uh, on on the show the other week on the weekend of the other week I referred to, to um, a group of women as scouse nans but it's in the most like lovable way oh, because yes. and they care they, they do care. and I think you you won't get a cleaner sheet than, oh, than one by a scouse nan it'll come out bright white it'll come out wiser than it was ever uh, yeah. it was ever done in the first place oh, yeah. but that that's really lovely and. And I'm just quite interested by that, actually, um, with with the the volunteers, so that group of women, the Golden Girls, the Scouse Nans. Um, are they are they women that obviously with with them being retired, are they women that maybe have had children there before and they wanted to volunteer, or are these just people who just really care we've about the mix. amazing thing in in the community? Yeah, we've got a mix. We have got a couple of volunteers who've actually stayed with us, haven't we, we have. in the house? So they've experienced what we could offer and they wanted to come back when their child was better so that they could give something back. And then we've just got some ladies who are doing it because they're just dead lovely and they, they want to do something to, to help. And they absolutely help with them um, talking to the families. Yeah, so we have communal thing. kitchens where, you know, families congregate and they get a lot of support from other families, but also the volunteers as well. They'll just have a chat, make them a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. And if they seem a bit down, that they'll, they'll take the time out to sit with them and sort of talk through any problems they've got. And, and as we all know, it's just nice to have somebody who'll listen. You know, sometimes that's the best medicine. It and really it is. is. Yeah. And it's a warm atmosphere as oh, well, it isn't is. it? Yeah. Um, and obviously with, with Alder even though we're talking about uh, Alder Hay, Ronald McDonald House, both being in Liverpool, I imagine for for a lot of the, the families who might stay there they're not from the area. Um and what what do they think? Do they do they feel like it reflects on Liverpool as a city? Because we sit here and we bang on how we're the best city in the world. <laughs> yeah. Um and but you know we are we genuinely I, I think scousers are incredibly friendly and it's really important to sort of carry that on. And do these do these families sort of relate what they see and feel around a McDonald's house to the city of Liverpool? I think so, yeah. It was funny. We do a family meal um, once a week. And one, on one of the weeks, 
we cooked scouse for the families and we just put it up the menu assuming that everyone knows what scouse and is. And they were really confused. Yeah, and we had like a few families coming saying, what, what is this scouse? What is it? So we had to explain to them then what it was because you forget sometimes. Yeah. It's trying to explain that it's not stew but it is stew. It's a <laughs> yeah. different type of stew. Yeah. Um, no, it, it all sounds amazing. I've been past it um, many a times. You know, me, me nan and granddad are from around the area. It's a, it's a place that's always to come in there. and come in and see us oh, yeah, have a cup time. of tea I yeah. mean it, I you mean the girls oh, <laughs> they'll have me washing sheets with um, so with you with you just saying Kate as well with you being independent to Alder Hay um, you do have to you have to constantly keep fundraising to, to keep this amazing project going and you come in to speak about the one that we uh, that you've got in November which is called Mac House at the Cop um, bit of a giveaway it's at, mm-hmm. it's at Anfield it is <laughs> um, so it's a fundraiser it's it's fifty. It's from £55 per person it's on Saturday the 16th of November starts at 7 o'clock till midnight uh, it's in the Annie Road stand uh, in the beautiful game suite and the catch of the night is you get to see good old Biggie as herself our lovely lovely number 6 in the person certainly do the, the Champions League Cup is on display so anybody who is able to come and support the charity also gets a chance to have the photo taken with the cup. So we think that's a really nice thing to offer our supporters. And we're hoping that um, any listeners today might be interested as well, having the opportunity to come and see the cup and get the photo. Oh, I think we'd all have a chance. We would all love to go and have our photo <laughs> taken with the cup. Yeah. And the thing is, when the cup was on display, uh, if, if you all remember it, when you li- if you're listening now... Um, there was a lot of queues and a lot of people yeah. were left disappointed and now it's behind um, a glass window, it's in a cabinet. But this night it's not. It's not it's in not. a cabinet no. and you can get really close to it. Close you to might it. not be able to touch no, it. No, there'll be a guard we, there. We, we, can, <laughs> we can all pretend to kiss it. Um, we can all do that. And there's a three-course dinner and a silent auction. Yeah, so we've got a company who's going to run that for us and there's some fantastic prizes on that that people can bid for. Once-in-a-lifetime things, really, so well worth the ticket price to come and support us as well. And you've got some other events going on as well, haven't you? So it's not just the one in November. The the fundraising is, is constant. Oh, um, it is, yeah. And, and like we were saying just off air before that, Sometimes when you're putting that money in, in in McDonald's, it doesn't necessarily go to yourselves, does it, um, with you being independent? No, we're an independent charity. So people think that when they put the coins in and when they go to McDonald's that we get those coins. Because we're an independent house, we don't get that fundum. So and we have to do all our fundraising ourselves. So we're totally reliant on these kinds of events yeah. and, and getting the support. So to get the support of people from our city is just absolutely brilliant for brilliant. us. Yeah. And what are the other events you've got coming up then? So it costs us seven hundred and fifty thousand to keep the doors open to Mac House every year. So it's a it's a it's a lot of money to raise. So we've got um, a new program of challenge events, which includes skydives with Black Knights in Lancaster. That is a once in a lifetime opportunity. If it's on your bucket list, now's your time to do it. <laughs> and for, for us. a good cause as well. And for yeah. an absolute, you know you know. Everybody knows how great, you know, the house is. So if you're, if you're keen to do a skydive, please get in touch and we can point you in the right direction. We've got some overseas treks and different cycle um, events as well that you can get involved in. And yeah, we'll support you with any fundraising ideas or initiatives you have. And yeah, we just welcome you to get involved with us. And £750,000. Yeah. I mean... Are you, you've just dropped it in there at the end, like really casually. That, that's that's it's a huge. lot of money, isn't it? Um, yeah. And to... No, you, you you must have to really keep thinking about it like every day, every yeah, week. We do. Um we do. and 
obviously it's it's tough climates now we're, we're not all you know it, it the way that the the country is going and it it's getting tougher and tougher and obviously you know it seems like people are having less and less money but this is something that you've said is an establishment now the city couldn't be without no, it no. 26 years it's been going and £750,000 is a lot of money, but it's a lot of money to keep something extremely important it is. open. Yeah, and that money goes towards keep it, the upkeep of the house as well. Now, our rooms are a little tired um, and they are in need of a bit of a modernisation. So part of the money that we'll raise from the um, Mac House at the COP dinner will go to refurb in some of the rooms as well because we've got an appeal called Room for Change where we want to um, look at um, upgrading the rooms that our families stay in. So you'll make a big difference to the house and people's experience while they're there. So if you are interested in coming along to Mac House at the COP, it is, just to remind you, on Saturday the 16th of November, 7 o'clock till midnight. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Liverpool are away away that weekend so you've got no excuse you've got no excuse you've got to get down it um i know they played man city the week before at home so liverpool should be away that weekend um so seven o'clock till midnight in support of ronald mcdonald's house tickets are on sale now from 55 pound per person you'll get a boss three course dinner auction of really amazing prizes live entertainment it'll just be a lovely night and go and get your picture with lovely lovely number six champions league trophy um if you are interested in in fundraising in another way or um i don't know getting in touch about anything else um how what's the best way to to get in touch have a look at our website it's um www.ronaldmcdonaldhouseliverpool.org.uk Great. And all the information is there. You can get your tickets online and stuff as well. You can ring up. uh, You can do all of the sorts. So do go to the website, have a look if there's anything at all you can get involved with and for this amazing local charity. Um, It it really is an extremely important part of of this city. Um, So get yourself down to mainly Mac House at the COP on Saturday the 16th of November. A little bit different for the weekender, but this is the sort of stuff we look to do across tour player. I'm joined by Alex Hurst uh, from True Faith uh, in Newcastle uh, to talk about, well, the general situation a little bit, but obviously the game at the weekend. And Alex, it's one where, you know, it feels different-ish, but the results against Tottenham, I think, gave a bit of hope uh, to the supporter base. I think that's that's the th- that Newcastle going felt like, it, sorry, not Newcastle going, Benitez leaving Newcastle felt like it took all that hope away. It, it, it results always make a difference for any manager and, and that Tottenham away win after that terrible performance at Carrow Road, I think it made a real difference for Steve Bruce, at least for a period of time. Yeah, definitely. And I think a lot of fans will be clinging to that, um, you know, that performance, is, you know, the victory was important, but, all, but also the performance and the manner of it. You know, yeah, we only had 20% possession, but we'd seen that plenty of times in the previous manager and proved as a squad of players that they don't need possession to get results. So to pull off a result in such a positive one and the performance to go with it has given a lot of fans kind of the hope that at least, you know, these games against the top six away from home, which even under the previous manager were, were failed to get anything from, there might be something there for us. Ultimately, our season as a team in the bottom of the league will be determined by the results against the sides at the bottom and anything against sides like Liverpool is a, is a massive bonus. But definitely that result a few weeks ago kind of adds a little bit of hope to this this game rather than... You know, certainly, like you say, the Carroll Road performance and performances like that, and against Watford and Arsenal. Difference, it looked to me, Tottenham was Longstaff and Hayden. It, it's for me the hold John Joe Shelby has in the popular football imagination is remarkable. Uh, certainly, when compared to his actual ability, he remains a figure of that gets people's attention. But it seems to me quite quickly there, Steve Bruce has gone with Longstaff and Hayden as his centre midfield options because because of things like that performance at Tottenham, the the, the graph for one another, and also the fact that they dovetail quite nicely. 
definitely in, in last season, uh, Rafael has almost um, stumbled upon Longstaff and Hayden by accident because of an injury crisis to Key. Well, Key was away at the Asian Games, Diarmé and Shelby. So actually, Liverpool away on Boxing Day, which wasn't a good, which wasn't a good game. Saw Longstaff make his debut. Um, you know, out, out of the blue, really, no one had really tipped him for it, and then he just went on to put in these seven, eight performances at this level, which very few fans, myself included, had seen from such a young player in such an important position of the pitch. Massive blow to him getting such a serious injury away at last, uh, West Ham last year. He's, he's come back a little bit, you know, a little bit more cautiously, a little bit. He's not, he's not running as much as he was, but maybe that's a little bit more natural, and particularly for, for a player of that age. You know, I'm sure he is himself worried about doing doing that kind of injury again. But himself and Hayden, you know, two two English midfielders in the middle of the park, basically just all action, putting tackles in, finding teammates, having to play box to box. And I know it's a bit of an old fashioned term, box to box, but because there is no one else in that side, you've got three centre backs, two wing backs who will play as full backs in this game. You know, it, it's very much down to those two against against Liverpool's midfields to try and get some sort of a foothold. And crucially, if they do turn over possession. And if they, if they are presented with the chance to find the forward player that would take it, and like you correctly say at Spurs, those two are absolutely magnificent. And for us to get anything at, at Liverpool that they're going to have to play off, it's going to get. Um, you mentioned there the two full the, the two wing backs players full backs. I think Will Elms has come in given the Richie injury. Krath, uh, a man with a TH and an F, uh, just to complicate matters. Yeah. Uh, right back is I think he may even be a centre half ideally by trade. They are they are pinned back, aren't they? It's, and it's by design. It's not you know it's it, this is this is it, it's what they the way they expect the match to go. It's the way Bruce would expect the match to go on on Saturday morning. But they will be pinned back and they will play as as fullbacks. The will and it's always a worry because you know Will Ems is is an attacking player. He, you know we haven't seen too much of him defensively so far, apart from a disastrous introduction against Arsenal in the first five minutes, which led to the winning goal. Uh, but he was very good going forwards against Watford. And um, Kraft, you know, we don't know much about him. We were signed out the blue. We actually have quite a few fullbacks. Mancio, former Liverpool player, done really well back at, back in the last season and forced DeAndre Yedlin out of the side and Yedlin's been injured. And, and, and I kind of think that those two players, um, you know, Mancio and Yedlin, don't have, you know, they, they are naturally kind of almost half-backs in that they, you know, they can't really play in a conventional back four, but they're, they're, they're perfectly suited. And, and Bruce has kind of shown since the start of the season that he'd rather go for lads who are whose natural inclination is to defend. I think Matt Ritchie's injury is a massive blow to the team, and he's not the most gifted footballer in the Premier League, but he's he's clearly a, a leader in that side. He doesn't have the captain's armband, but he leads by example in his commitment and his endeavour and his kind of never-say-die attitude. Sean Longstaff actually spoke in the week about how much he leans on Matt Ritchie in the dressing room uh, to get him through when things aren't going well and the team do. So he's a massive, a massive miss. But what, what I worry about this weekend, and I'm sure you've seen it plenty of times, Neil, you know, the sides come to Anfield and if you concede the first goal, it's very difficult uh, anywhere in the Premier League, home or away. But if you concede it at Anfield and you, you're playing a flat back five, I don't really see how, how you can change the game around or how you can try and switch things up. So it's very much kind of the first goal is all, all important. Whereas under the previous manager, because he, you know, Rafa was wedded to this system, but with the fullbacks, you know, like we said, Mankio, Richie, Yedlin, given the freedom to bomb forwards, and, and you saw Manchester City away last season, Yedlin from right fullback gets a, ball, a goal on the counter attack. There was always that kind of get out of jail card, or at least let's switch it up a bit if it's not going so well. Under Bruce, it looks like it's a, it's Plan A, and if Plan Plan A doesn't go to to Plan, there, there isn't anything else. So, that. so considering the home record Liverpool have got, which is frankly ridiculous, even in this modern era of the Premier League, 
uh, the first goal is all important. Um, I want to talk about the manager and the situation in general. It's it, the the thing I take from a distance is I remember uh, the back end of, of Hicks and Gillette. I remember not going in, uh, not bothering going in to watch Liverpool play against Blackpool, um, staying in the pub around the ground and then watching everyone come out early. Um, I remember the sort of the, 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 the ebb and away of hope, to be honest with you. And I think this is almost the bit, that because it's not newsworthy, the bit that sort of disappears, I suppose, in a sense, where to, to, to the more sort of conventional journalist conversations. It's not about genuinely terrible things happening from the ownership. It's that they've bled the hope out, haven't they, really? And that's where, when you're mentioning, you know, the performance against Watford and maybe even the one against Norwich and saying about sides around you, you know, even if Newcastle this season finished 17th, 17th for Sheffield United will feel very, very different to 17th for Newcastle. And I think that's the bit that gets missed. It doesn't have to be actively bad. It can still be absolutely hopeless. Yeah, you're dead right in everything you've said there. And you know what, two seasons ago, 17th would have been okay. We ended up finishing 10th, but 17th would have been okay. Even last season, we've actually taken so much money out of the club. Um, you know, 17th would have been a disappointment, but we finished 13th in the end. This season, it's, it just feels like more of the same again. And then if you complete this season, then what's the point of next season? Already out of the League Cup, which, you know, only other team to draw a Premier League side. Lots of injuries. Leicester played a full-strength team. But these are the kind of things we've been talking about for 10 years, 12 years. So it doesn't matter that you get one kind of bad run. Ultimately, if you're going to progress to cup competition, you have to play and beat good teams. So it, it, it is feeling hopeless, like you say. You've seen the crowd against Watford. I was never seen St James's Park for Saturday three o'clock kickoff. Is something that we haven't really experienced in about ten years of the Ashley ownership. And, and to be fair to the Ashley ownership, they came through that um, under Alan Pardew. They, they did a lot of cheap ticket deals around the ground. Which you know what, I'm, I'm never going to complain about cheap tickets. Yeah. Um, some people use them against the club and say, well, they've only managed to get these big crowds because the cheap tickets were good. As far as I'm concerned. But ultimately, a lot of those cheap ticket deals have run out. The cheapest ticket for the game against Brighton next week is 37 or 38 quid. Uh, and you're going to continue to see um, crowds plummet. And one of the big fears about the, the Steve Bruce reign is that regardless of what, you know, there's been a bit of a media campaign so Newcastle fans need to give Steve Bruce a chance, all this kind of stuff. Would he have a chance because he's the manager? No one's really angry at Steve Bruce. No one really minds Steve Bruce. He seems like a nice enough fellow. I don't think he's a good football manager at this level. But he seems like a nice guy who seems to care. Ultimately, that doesn't matter in the Premier League. And 17th this, this season will be a massive achievement for Steve Bruce, I think. But ultimately, you know, while Steve Bruce and while Newcastle United can get excited about that, myself and tens of thousands of other people just can't. And as long as Ashley's at the club, it's not going to change. The, the next part of this is the sort of one of the things that occurred to me thinking about Newcastle on the horizon because the, one of the reasons why this game is half past 12 and it's on the telly well there's a couple of reasons one is that they know that still even now uh, the away end will get sold out at Anfield uh, with Newcastle supporters but I think the other one of the other reasons why is to hark back to those classic games the the wading and the nostalgia of all this sort of stuff and you know there's nothing but football at times is going to be a little bit nostalgic Alex but one of the things that occurs to me is there's a generation now of of Newcastle supporters if you're you know that's the Collymore goal in the four three is it's quite literally in, in football in terms three generations ago in actual generational terms. You know that's twenty three years ago. There's there's Newcastle supporters who've not who've not experienced the, the Newcastle that, for instance, conjures in my mind's eye of a side who who want to be a top ten, a top six force, apart from one brief season under Pardew and I think that's pretty sad as well there's there's an entire generation of Newcastle United supporters who really just haven't really had hope 
people between the ages of 14 and 21, 23 now, they've not really ever genuinely had that. Yeah, you're, you're dead right. And it's really sad when you see uh, you know, a lot of youngsters around the city wearing Liverpool tops, Man City tops, that kind of thing. When I was growing up, that wasn't a thing, really. Um, and I think that's you know, as much a product of the, of the wider Premier League, not just Newcastle, but it is still really sad to see it at Newcastle. And ultimately, you've also got a kind of normality around that. So yeah. you know, fans like myself, fans older than me, or whatever age who have kind of tried to fight against the Ashley regime or try to make sense of it or try to do something if this is all you've ever known, why would you try and do something different? Why, you know, everyone talks about the past, and we're, we're guilty of it as much as anybody in Newcastle. Didn't even win anything, but it was a great time to be a supporter. And what all we can try and do is, you know, talk about those times to try and remind people or show people who weren't around that actually Newcastle United wasn't about finishing 17th. And ultimately in sports, someone's got to lose. Someone's got to lose. Someone's got to get relegated. And, and it happens. Football, you, you know, you can have a bad season. You can have a bad few years but when the, when the aim of the club is to just not get relegated every season's a bad season and, and you, you're right to bring up those games of the past and you know what it, quite even, even sadder for me is look at the end of last season at that game in James's Park I was there yeah. it was a brilliant and I don't I don't want to get hyperbolic because Newcastle got beaten that was a great it game it was about Liverpool that night it was, a, it was a brilliant spectacle the atmosphere from both sets of fans was out of this world we actually as a fan base un- unveiled the biggest ever flag in British football at the Gallagher end that cost £26,000 or something all fan funded and raised and it was a fantastic game of end-to-end football there was controversy there was brilliant goals there was world-class players on the pitch and we are now a million miles from that and I know we are and for the people who own the football club to not recognise that and not worry about that and think you know what we've actually got something right and even though we lost the game if I only cast United I would be sat there thinking you know what we've got this right under this manager and these players, Salomon Rondon, Jose Perez, the likes of those players, we've got this right. And in the space of what, what, five months or something, it's gone and it's not coming back anytime soon. Thank you very much to Alex. Always great to hear from Alex there. Thank you, Neil. So let's start talking about our opponents, Newcastle. Um, I always enjoy when this f- f- fixture comes around and not just because we've got a great record in it, but because there's been some great games and they've had some great sides down the years and it always tends to be quite exciting and action-packed. This year's vintage, however, not quite as good. They're in a really strange situation. It all sounds very toxic, Adam. I mean, we know their feelings around Mike Ashley. Obviously, Rafa Benitez is no longer there. He's been replaced by Steve Bruce, which is not the most popular decision either. And yet, you can see some green shoots of recovery on the pitch. You mentioned earlier their result against Spurs. They've actually been quite good defensively, even if they have been playing half, well, three quarters of the team in a defensive third. But how have you seen them so far this season? Well, I think you'll remember, Mo, that Rafa took until November to get his first win last season, which means Steve Bruce is obviously a significantly better manager. So, don't know what any of the panic is there before them. Yeah, he's certainly got a bigger brain, yeah. Um, I Look, I think that it, they are often exciting games, and it might well be the case again this weekend, but, you know, don't forget, if we win 5-0, that's quite exciting. So, you know, there's many reasons why that might fall into that particular bracket. I I don't I don't think they're very good. I think they're going down. I think when I've been looking at you know sort of who's going to go down this season, it's been Newcastle plus two others because mm. I just don't think I, I just don't think 
anything going on there is is particularly healthy and I think they were more surprised than anybody else that they got the win against Spurs I don't think any of them went into it thinking it was a tactical masterclass by Steve Bruce or anything else they've got the ability to frustrate that's absolutely true but I think this Liverpool team and it you know it's obviously famous last words and all that sort of thing but this Liverpool team feels like it's figured out how to do what it needs to do mm-hmm. and I think I think from Newcastle will turn up and I think if we go 3-0 up, Newcastle will still have 11 men behind the ball and thinking that's fine, 3-0 is all right, that you know that we we can take that. That's what, that's how I envisage the match going. I, I don't I don't think one goal, two goals, three, I don't think four goals will see them suddenly start to come out of their their box. I think they're just going to turn up and try to defend so it's our responsibility to break them down and get goals, but we're good enough to do that. So, you know, that that's why it should be an exciting game, hopefully more because we're, we're just battering them for 90 minutes rather than the exciting game we had at the end of last season where I lost even more of my very little hair. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, hopefully it's more like the home game on Boxing Day, which was 4-0, and mm-hmm. I very much enjoyed that. I remember that. It's a goal from Lovren in that game as well. <laughs> Strange how that comes around. Uh, Siobhan, I'm not going to talk about Lovren all day. Don't worry. <laughs> they <Fan> have- boy. <laughs> A little bit. They have spent some money in recent times, which mm. is obviously one of the big bugbears in Newcastle yeah. fans, mostly on their forward line um, over the course of the last 18 months. They brought in Almiron, who finally scored for his country in midweek, uh, Joe Linton, uh, Sam Maximan. So in theory, they should be some of an attacking threat. Do you think they're going to be going onto the pitch thinking, we're not going to see the ball here today? <sighs> I always get this wrong. So whatever I say now, just expect the opposite. <laughs> So say they're going to be amazing then. They, they're going to think they're going to be amazing. No, I think that they'll probably think they'll. I think they'll know that they'll give it a go, and then they'll have to retreat and and do what everyone else does. Because as Adams just said, Liverpool have figured out how to get past these teams. Because Newcastle's attacking line might be better. Liverpool's is even better, and their defence is even better. So, you know, I, I don't think it really matters what they try and do. If I'm honest, um, I don't think it matters what Steve Bruce tries to do. I don't think it matters what what the you know what Mike Ashley doesn't try to do I think I just don't think it matters it's a great place to be though isn't it I mean if you think about some of the times we've had to play Newcastle and it has been a real battle and I don't mean that from an arrogance perspective of like we're going to beat everyone we're going to sweep everyone aside I just think that bigger challenges will come and this weekend isn't one of them Mm -hmm. fair enough now there's going to be a lot of talk about Steve Bruce's supposedly good record uh, really uh, you're going to say massive head then <laughs> oh there's but been... then you said supposedly so. <laughs> yeah. yeah that head is definitely massive even he's started acknowledging it now which I, I kind of like he's I kind do of, too he's owned it and I mean he didn't have much choice but he owns it so. <laughs> when you spend that long not being able to wear hats you're just going to have to accept it so you, all the prep for the show was clearly Steve Bruce jokes am I right <laughs> okay I'm, I'm good with that uh, so Andy, as I say, his record is actually won one in twelve, but he's had six draws, and a lot of those draws were when he came with a team that had about as much talent or quality as you could say his current team. But that he's never played a Jurgen Klopp Liverpool, and as these two have outlined, we are better at dealing with this threat now. I mean, do you give them any chance? It's a no. Uh, <laughs> there was a minute there where he thought about it no no the, the Bruce thing's a weird one I think the draws have come at weird times or how the draws have come about so I remember being 2-0 up against the Birmingham City side mm. under Gerard Houllier we just Houllier's made criticism that he was a little bit too defensive and then for a couple of games he just took the shackle well the shackles off so to speak uh, uh, quotes and that 
and we were two 0 up flying, and they came back uh, from two 0 down to two two. Um, and then there's been a couple of other ones like stubborn. D- uh, he's had a couple of results against Rafa, which uh, it yeah, it, it just seem, it, they just seem to come up weird times, like season affecting times for mm-hmm. Liverpool. So it's kind of stuck there. I don't actually mind him, uh, and the big fat head thing he, he acknowledged when he was at Birmingham, when he when he was still at Birmingham, tapped his head and all that. That being said, um, I think this is the best Liverpool side of the generation, mm-hmm. uh, and I think Birmingham, friggin' hell, Newcastle will take to the pitch with one thing in their mind is just to get through the first fifteen minutes, yeah. mm-hmm. and then you start thinking about, well, all right, can we get through the next fifteen and the next fifteen? They're not going out there going right. If we work hard and we do all right, we could get a draw here. They'll be going out there going, I hope we don't get it hard. And then it, so that's why it's incumbent on Liverpool to come out and start. And that's why I'm saying I'm starting strong. It's incumbent on Liverpool to come out and get at them straight away. Yeah. Liverpool haven't, Liverpool haven't lost at home in the league now for what, two? More than two years. More than two years. You know, it's, um, yeah, it's a funny one. I, 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 I don't, I, I can't see it being an issue. My only worry is that it's the early kickoff. I always worry about mm-hmm. early kickoffs yeah. for some strange reason. Just I don't, a, quite disturbing. Just yeah, generally. and I don't get me lying oh, and I'm craggy and I've had a long week. You know, so yeah, if it's we don't, hard, if we don't, it? if we don't win, God help the cat on Saturday night. Um, <laughs> but no, apart from that, it's ugh, the the Steve Bruce thing as well. It's funny because he, well, it's not funny because you know the, the Ashley what Ashley's done up there is is. Nothing short of a disgrace, but I've got a bit of sympathy for Bruce because he he, is a, he does support Newcastle. He's wanted this job his whole career. Yeah, he wants to, but he also knows he was about eighth or ninth on the list. I mean, Ashley didn't even deny it when he was asked the question. <laughs> he, you know, he didn't have, and the amount of things Ashley's had the brass neck to conflate, shall we say, to not even to not even so deny. It. I think he was the only one who was willing to take the job, apart from maybe Alan Pardew again. But we all know. <laughs> so yeah. Um, Get out there. Get out. I don't think they've had a, the, the Spurs one's a bit of a misnomer because you don't know which Spurs you're going to get. Mm-hmm. You don't know which Spurs team you're going to get at the moment. I, I just think that, you know, there's potential there for Liverpool to come out, and make, especially after the Burnley result as well. Liverpool to come out and put put uh, Newcastle to the sword and put and, and lay a marker down for the rest of well, the next three or four games. No, I, I think you're right. And I do think, like everyone here, that the Newcastle are probably going to go into it with quite a lot of trepidation. And... One of the things I've enjoyed recently is listening to quotes of teams who've just been beaten by Liverpool, trouncing out of outfield with a tail between their legs. And they're telling everyone how great we are. And I I love it. I'm here for it, big time. Um, A couple of quotes here. I've got one from Ashley Barnes from Burnley, who says that we're much better, even than when we played against them in March and beat them. And uh, we're going to take some stopping. Uh, Danny Ceballos, he of Real Madrid, currently of Arsenal, He's talked about Liverpool taking the air out of opponents. Which I read that's brilliant, aren't it? It is. It's a really, I don't know, it's a really evocative, evo- yeah. Just what I was going to say, an evocative phrase, because it really puts you into the idea of their mindset as they're on the pitch. And the idea, of, like, you've never seen a team play better, presses like them, and the fans carry them along. Now, we've mentioned this at 12 o'clock Saturday, so an atmosphere might not necessarily be the level it was for the Arsenal game, no. but. When you think about the idea of players having this in their head when they were going onto the pitch, we're getting to the stage of the things that we used to complain about Manchester City, where every time they're playing a game, the teams are turning up and expecting to get rolled over, and lo and behold, they do roll over. We're going to start to benefit from this now. I think that, yeah, it's that sense of, it's there's almost a bit of realism about coming up against Liverpool now, isn't it? They're no longer the Liverpool of old, where there was a leaky 
you know, mad goal or two in them to give away or anything like that. I think that it's no longer about who's going to beat Man City, it's who's going to beat Man City or Liverpool. So I think that, yeah, it's a really privileged place to be. Um, it's always nice to to hear those things. And I, I do believe that that that's not really going anywhere. The um, It presents an opportunity, again, an argument for going strong because we, we are the early kickoff and City don't play until yeah. later in the evening. And this isn't saying that Norwich, I've got a, a decent chance, but... It's it's just that element of doubt. So whenever City played before us and got a result, you're thinking, oh, fucking hell, we have to win now. Mm-hmm. You know, that, not that you never don't no, have to win. No, but that going first yeah. always gives you the sense but, of advantage, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, you, you get the three points in the bag and yeah. turn around and go, right, okay, your Relax. move, mm-hmm. your move yeah. now. And, and despite what anyone will say at this stage, I guarantee you everyone within Manchester City and Liverpool know that it's a two-horse race. Oh, yeah. Oh, Nor- Norwich will give City a game as well. They might end up getting spanked 7 or 8-0. Mm. But unlike probably 16, 17 of the rest of the yeah. teams in the, in the rest of the league, they're not just going to go there and, and and get well. They might get rolled, but at least they'll have a go getting rolled as opposed yeah. to just. You can imagine them being. There. You can imagine them scoring. If you're placing a bet, you could imagine a you know a city to win both teams to score looking mm. like an attractive mm. proposition because they might actually have a few shots at the holographic goalkeeper in City's <laughs> net. Well, I so, mean, did you see that holographic goalkeeper <laughs> yeah, against Peru? I um, did. Yeah, him jumping out for nothingness. Well, see. I'm going to stick up for him here. Oh, really? This should be good. <laughs> yeah. That's because you're contrary. That's why you don't want to. <laughs> no, no. I, 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 that long week getting at him. <laughs> no, I, I think I made the comment on that dreaded social media about it. it, it he doesn't miss the cross. It's a header, right? Mm-hmm. And if he doesn't commit to, to trying to take the, the the cross out, it's going to be a free header anyway. So it, it's literally a break, break, break glass manoeuvre that doesn't quite come off. So, and it, if, if anything, so... If a striker's going to get a free header and there's no pressure on him, it's a lot easier than a striker getting a free-ish header with a six-foot-three. No, granted. You know, someone that steaming at you and you know he's there. It took a gamble, it didn't pay off. It's not brilliant, but it's not this big. It, I mean, I, 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 I saw it mentioned and gone, oh, hang on, he's made them a massive wreck here. And then looked at it and went, well, you know what? Mm. That's that's fair, Andy, but I think I think it doesn't look good. You know, from from a, I know he won't necessarily be watching the video back and thinking, "Oh, that doesn't look good." He'll be thinking what you're thinking of. Well, I think I made the right decision there. But I think coming off the back of the goalkeeper in the Spurs game, where he really didn't. No, see that that good. was. But that's what yeah. I mean. You know, like the the the. the, the one of them in isolation, you might go, oh, well, he's made a decision there to do X. But, you know, one following, not quickly, but on the heels of another one. And especially when he's in the Brazil team because Alisson's injured and not because he's actually the first choice goalkeeper there. So that's sort of his chance to prove mm. it. It, it. It's it's a point where if I was, a, you know, if I was an opposition striker, I'd be thinking, I want to have a little pop at him because I think he's in his, I think he's in his own head at the moment about, about something. So I want to have a little go at him. So, you know, I mean, you know, Bank on uh, Timo Puki to score uh, hat trick. <laughs> look, look, I mean, look, potentially, I don't know. All I know is that Edison's supremely confident. He's a really good goalkeeper, and I don't. The Spurs thing was really surprising. Yeah. Uh, the, the, I don't even. I don't know what was going on. I think his head was scrambled on that one. I don't know what. I think he he was anticipating something that never came off. But I think he made the right decision against Peru, uh, and I'd stand by that. And I'd stand by that if it, if it was if it was our goalie or. Uh, dinosaur Junior. Fair enough. He, I, I can see he made the right decision. Probably next time we want to make it a little bit quicker. <laughs> but yeah, we, we we spent probably too long talking about Manchester United, uh, Manchester City. Sorry, his goalkeeper. He's prob- <laughs> Manchester City's goalkeeper. All right. Yeah. yeah. No, man. No, Man United. Like, who, who gives a no. Talk about talk about goalkeepers. Not 
doing particularly well. Oh yeah, you got some news on that. No, one. United. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh well, exactly. And and that was one of those situations where it started off being like, oh, it's a rare mistake for the hair. Oh, it's a rare mistake for the hair. <laughs> oh. Wait it's a, a blank mistake. It's another one. Oh gosh, maybe he's turned rubbish now. So it's not rubbish. It just illustrates the the gap between. I think we've said we've all kind of said this before. The the gap between the very best and the rest in goal in goalkeeping terms is a chasm. Mm-hmm. It's this weird thing where they're either absolutely unreal mm-hmm. or just much of a muchness. There's yeah. maybe Hugo Lloris that is in between that, or maybe even now that. But he he was in that. He's in that bouncing kind of, between the two. Between the two. And De Gea is probably just in that that gap now as well. I don't think there's any debate now that if you're going to name your top five, De Gea wouldn't be in that top five. But he's still better than 99% yeah. of the rest. Just I also so- definitely wouldn't be saying this if we were just about to play United. Because <laughs> yeah. he always seems to have an absolute <laughs> blinder against us. So. Well, I mean, you say that. But one of the, re- the reaction at Anfield last year was telling. Mm. When Jakiri got us too, he was, he was fu- furious. And, you know... <laughs> I think you, you saw. I, I made. I'm, we made. We've all made the argument. Sorry to. No, no. We, we've gone on this tangent now. We're here. Um, <laughs> the the whole argument about seventy five million means too much for a goalkeeper. But but then you think, well, hang on. How many points does a good goalkeeper mm. earn you versus how many points does a poor goalkeeper cost you? And so it basically, I, I, I surmise that the difference between so say David De Gea wins you seven points a season, and then I don't know kind of who can I pick on um, Simon Mignolet will cost you seven points a season. That's a 14-point swing. Yeah. I would say that 14 points, if you said to someone, you sign a striker and it'll get you, and he'll be make you 14 points better off, you're talking about a 120, 150 million pound mm-hmm. player. So why isn't it the same? Mm-hmm. It's because it's seen as their job, isn't it? No, but it's being recognised. What I'm yeah. saying now, yeah. because, yeah. because Alisson's come in and Edison's yeah. come in, it's, it's finally being recognised for position. And because the A's dropped yeah, a little yeah, bit yeah. and you look how far United have dropped. United's drop. Has coincided with yeah, David yeah, downturn in form. So. Definitely has. Um, obviously, our man Alisson's still not back yet, but we're hoping that Adrian will be able to come through this game unscathed. Sure. So, as a final part to kind of put an underline under this, I want to get some quick fire answers from you. I want to get a prediction for the game on Saturday. Yes, it's a prediction. You probably guessed it was coming. And also, a prediction of Newcastle's final league position. So, Siobhan, I'm going to start with you. 3 0. Okay. And not bottom. So I will say 18th. I think it'll be, they'll go, but it'll be, they'll be the one who it's, it's a toss up between. 4 1 and 19th. Andy? Um, yeah. Knock them for five. Serious. And then in the bottom three. Of, of which I, I think it's going to be really tight down but normally the, yeah. normally the normally the team bottom of the league is like because of drifted relegated mm-hmm. in February, March I mm-hmm. think it'll be really tight this year but I think they'll be one of the three Well I'm going to go with you on the score I do think we'll score five goals uh, I'm not sure they're going to get any either so I'll say 5-0 I'm going to give them a shot I'm going to say that they're going to be 17th because of a goal that's overturned from VAR and saves their skin. <laughs> Just not this weekend. <laughs> yes, not this weekend. Yeah, not even VAR could save them this weekend. Uh, big thank you to everyone who's been on the show, to Josh, to Michael, to Lizzie, to Kate, to Michelle, to Neil, to Alex, to everyone in the studio here with me, Andy, Adam and Siobhan, and to you all for listening. This has been The Weekender. Sports Social Podcast Network.